cue the accordion. I've always wanted to say that. Kick back and get comfy while hosts Heather Wenig and her co-hosts from the Early Childhood Nerd Collective explore ways to cause and effect. Dig that funky accordion. Welcome to Cause and Effect. Tiffany and I are here today. We're going to talk about emerging curriculum, emergent curriculum. We're ready. Yep. You're ready? We're ready. Okay. So we're just going to jump right in. Here's our This quote. episode is going to emerge as it goes. <laughs> That's right. It's an emerging podcast <laughs> about emerging curriculum. Mm-hmm. Okay. So maybe we are going to be a little weird before we get into the quote. Are you done? Always. You got uh, it? I think... I've got I've got most of it out of my system. Okay, all right. So here's our quote, and this is from <laughs> Susan Stacy in her book Emerging Curriculum: Emergent Curriculum in Early Childhood Settings. Emergent curriculum is invented by its participants, which is more work for teachers and caregivers because it requires continual alertness. True. I love. It's true. True. True or false? True. True. It is hard. I love the word awareness here mm-hmm. alertness that alertness yes requires continual alertness. alertness yep i love the word alertness back <laughs> this train up alertness is what i meant to yes. say i wrote down awareness because yeah. i'm a weirdo no it's they're very i similar. love that word there i do too. instead of assessment yeah um instead of assessment talk more about that well alertness or awareness. I think they're interchangeable in <laughs> okay. this circumstance. They are now. Alertness, since that's the quote. Yeah. Uh, it implies that the teacher is paying attention. Mm-hmm. And it implies that the teacher knows the students. Okay. I'm focused on the students. I'm thinking about my students. I'm not assessing my students. I think they are two very different okay. things. I, I think so, too. Um. So in my mind, then, assessing in that context is um, maybe looking for deficits, even looking yeah. for what they can't do, or mm-hmm. only focusing on those skill areas that you are being told to assess, mm-hmm. those, those things that you've been told to look for, which mm-hmm. is boring. That's really yeah. boring. And time consuming. Yeah. And takes you out of the action. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I think there are settings that I've been part of where 
um, what I see most often is teachers, the teaching staff, whoever they are, um, sort of just sitting back and waiting until there's a problem before getting involved or paying attention. Mm -hmm. Um, They may feel like they're paying attention because they're in the same room and they're watching what's happening, but they aren't alert. They aren't. Yeah. There's not that. And maybe mindfulness fits in this too. But I I think alertness takes it to a more active, um, a more active presence. Yeah. Being really aware of what's going on. I'll tell you the one thing that did sort of bother me about this quote is teachers and caregivers as separate things. Mm, They Um, are the same. But I kind of get that. I mean, I get that. But in my mind, that's sort of like, oh, you know, real teachers, of course, and we'll bring you caregivers along too. (laughs) Gets to give, throw you a bone. But it's it's like what we've talked about before. You can't really separate the learning from the well-being or the caregiving. So true. It's Maslow. They are the same. It's Maslow. Maslow would agree with me here. Maslow, you've got Maslow on your side. On my side, yeah. So what uh, what Tiff and I had talked about is (laughs) for this. It might be nice. It might be nice. To have Maslow on your side. <laughs> Sorry, weirdness done. <laughs> what was that? That was Hamilton with Maslow instead. <laughs> um, I've I've been away from Hamilton for a little while. I'm I'm, I'm rusty. <laughs> All right, so let's. My so, first question yes. when I read this quote yeah. was, "How is emergent curriculum different from play-based learning?" Hmm. Does it have to be different? No. Okay. I mean, I think it. I think it can be. Um, I think even emergent curriculum can still be very academic focused and very only focused on the cognitive or the language mm-hmm. parts of children's mm-hmm. development. Um, mm-hmm. Where I think play based, it's much harder to slip into that. Yeah, I does see that, what you mean. Does that make sense? Um, yeah. Play based is much more whole child all the time intensive should be i mean if, mm-hmm. if if we're doing it right what what do you think about the difference uh i think that it's a structural difference in my mind mm-hmm. um play based implies much more play to me when you have emergent curriculum it implies mm-hmm. a curriculum mm-hmm. right well it implies think- that like you have a a different agenda, I think, than play-based. Mm-hmm. Right. But I don't know. Well, I don't we, know. When we get into these bullet points that she uses to define it, we'll be able to flesh that out a little bit more, I think. But when I think emergent curriculum, my mind immediately goes to the mapping and the webs and the what do you want to learn, mm-hmm. which I think certainly can be part of play-based learning. But the danger or the risk, however you want to phrase it, is that we still stay very adult focused. Yeah. Very adult driven. Can you be one without being the other? I'm trying to think of the Venn diagram in my head. Mm, You love Venn diagrams. I do. Like once a week she sends me some Venn diagram about something. Mm -hmm. My last one was really good. It was a Venn diagram of Christmas (laughs) trivia knowledge. And it was two circles next to each other, not touching. (laughs) (laughs) This is true. Tiff is not... On the Christmas trivia Olympic team. 
No, I'm not. But I, I feel like I could be. Well, of course you could be. But the Venn diagram was very drastically different. Mm-hmm. You didn't ask me about Amy Grant Christmas lyrics. <gasps> Do you know Amy Grant Christmas lyrics? Oh, yes. Oh. From both her Christmas albums? Yes, absolutely. Oh, my God. <laughs> or NSYNC. NSYNC Christmas album. Incredible. I own I own that one. I also have, incredible. I, I could not answer trivia about that one, but I own it. Personal favorite all time? John Denver and the Muppets Christmas album. <laughs> Curtis got that for me on vinyl a couple of years ago. Oh! Yeah. Curtis, good one. Um, and while we're talking about John Denver, at this wine and canvas thing I went to, recently mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. see this is emergent podcasting <laughs> <laughs> wine and canvas they have a party playlist you know and it's kind of all over the place there goes josie again through my background um hi josie everybody's sort of singing along a little bit here and there but the last song of the night was take me home country road and the whole room <laughs> sang it so loud <laughs> that's beautiful John Denver forever. I'm not going to say it's because we'd all had a lot of wine at that point. Definitely not. Say it's because of John Denver. That's why. And we would have responded that way either way. Um, Where did that start? That started with Venn diagrams. Oh, Venn diagrams. Play based versus emergent curriculum. Right. Let's talk about the six bullet points that the author describes emergent curriculum as and we'll see what happens that's that's a good idea (laughs) okay you just (laughs) saved the episode um okay so the first these are um uh assumptions about emergent curriculum that that she uses to define it uh the first one is while framed by the teacher it's child initiated allowing for collaborations between children and teachers and giving everyone a voice check so yeah. I'd, I'd say that that is inherently not play-based. Right. Because um, there is teacher framing. Play-based comes entirely from the child. Yeah. Um, yeah, the framed by the teacher is one of those things where the risk is in each person's interpretation of what framed by the teacher means. Yeah. So Because that could be a plop. You could explain that as a plop like Lisa Murphy explains it as. Right. So for people who don't know what that means... Tiffany. Uh, that means, um, hey, I've noticed that every all the kids are playing policemen on their own, and I found this sweet set of policemen hats. I'm just going to leave it on the floor and see what happens. Just going to plop them. And see I'm just going to plop them. Yeah. Um, yep. Karen Miller, who was instrumental in my early development with infants and toddlers, calls it the flop and do technique, where you mm. just sit it out to start. That's flop with an F, not plop ah, with a P. Very different from flop. Very different. So um, so I guess I also don't know that it gives everyone a voice. Play base or the, hmm, where was I going with that? Again, depending on how the teacher interprets that framing responsibility, everyone might not really be having a voice. And I think about other members of the teaching team. Do they have a voice? Two or is yeah. it one, is it one teacher planning it all? That's one thing yep. we've really been trying to work on in the centers that I work with is every adult in that room and the families are part of whatever planning is taking place. 
Yeah. Um, so that everyone's... And the children's voice maybe is s- discovered through observing, not so much asking them what they want to do. Although you, some, some you could do sometimes that. Sometimes you can't. And sometimes they'll tell you, like, I want to do this. Or I don't okay. want to do this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Yeah. Um, but I think... Most often when I've seen, I I didn't intend for this to be like a, should we do emergent curriculum? Is it a good thing or a bad thing? So I hope it's not coming off that way. I just kind of wanted to explore the idea of it. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Giving, giving every child a voice is tricky too. If, unless you've got multiple emergent curriculums going, like if it's, this is what we're going to study and we're going to web it out and plan everything based on that conversation about the web. That's still probably right. really only a percentage of your children participating in that. Yeah, I'd, I'd say that true emerging curriculum has multiple. There's so many layers in my mind, mm-hmm. where because there's the individual emergent curriculum to the individual is different than in, emergent curriculum to each small group, mm-hmm. which is different than the whole room. Mm-hmm. So it still could be done, and that's part of what makes yeah. it harder, and part of what yeah. why that alertness is required. Um, and I would argue part of what makes it the best as far as curriculums go. Mm-hmm. If you're somebody who's planning curriculum in that way, to have to sit and think about what individuals are interested in and need and what small groups are interested in and need, it, it forces um, a deeper relationship with the whole classroom. Right, right. And don't you think it, w- it deepens your work? And you just feel yeah. more into it. Um, you know, you're probably not sitting around waiting for the clock to hit five o'clock so you can get out. No, because you're sick of it. If if this is the you're way thinking. that you're you're you've trained yourself to think and interact and and plan, and if everyone feels like they're part of that, um, I think, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's harder work, but then I think it makes it more rewarding and deeper. Which I'm yeah. a fan of. Um, are you ready, yeah. ready for the second yep. bullet point? It's responsive to the child, thereby allowing teachers to build upon existing interests. I think that fits play-based pretty well. Yeah. Don't you think? Yeah, th- that aligns. Yep. I also didn't mean for this to turn into a play-based versus emergent curriculum episode. Too late. Too late. Damage, damage is done. Uh, the big, I would argue that... Big emergent it, curriculum is coming for you. <laughs> I would argue that emergent curriculum, like, it shouldn't just be building on children's interests. That should be just, like, best practice. Right. You don't have to be, like, subscribing to emergent curriculum to say, hey, 10 of the 20 kids in here love dinosaurs. Yeah. So I'm going to make sure that there's a lot of access to things about dinosaurs in the room. Right, right. Or one of the 20 children in this class is really into yeah. dinosaurs. Let's throw yeah. some dinosaur stuff in here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. um, so this is um, a question I get a lot when I talk to people about individualizing for children or following children's interests rather than pre-planned themes and stuff like that. Um, I get asked a lot, well, doesn't that leave somebody out? There's no way we could plan something every day for every child based on their 
individual interests, so someone's going to get left out. Um, so part of, for one thing, that's sort of an order, oversimplification of what's happening. But if we're doing pre-planned themes determined by the adult um, and everybody's doing the same stuff, we're losing more, we're leaving more kids out in that system. Just because yeah. they're all sitting in the group doing the same thing doesn't mean that they're all benefiting from it. Um, yeah. So and I, I would say that if you have a, a quality environment, mm-hmm. I don't want to throw around the high quality. That's yeah. a whole nother can of worms. Right. But if you have an engaging third teacher mm-hmm. classroom environment, yeah, everyone will have access to something they're interested in. Right. Emergent curriculum to me is like the cherry on top. Right. So you you still can do some direct instruction kinds of things. You still yeah. can do some small group, large group, depending on age, I'd say, because I think there are some ages that large group is never a good idea um, or an effective, right. an effective method. Um, yeah. But then for those who aren't participating in those different things, there's still such a richness around them that's still based on their interests and what you've learned by being alert um, Mm -hmm. and working hard that they still are getting that benefit. The learning is still happening and needs are being met and interests are being fostered. um, And it's beautiful. Sounds beautiful, doesn't it? It sounds so beautiful. Mm -hmm. I just think people rely too heavily on when you're talking about curriculum in this way, They rely too heavily on this idea that, like, I am planning the thing and that's what we do tomorrow. Yeah. It should be, I have already set up a classroom. That means even if I don't have anything planned tomorrow, the kids are still going to be learning because it's an engaging and purposeful classroom. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so then when I say, oh, I noticed that dinosaurs are really popular right now, that's the extra thing you bring each day. Yeah. That's the extra level, but it's not necessary for a classroom to function. I think that is a a dangerous place that a lot of teachers get stuck in, Mm -hmm. in this, like, I have to have a thing or my classroom turns into chaos. And that shows me, hey, you don't have a good classroom yet. Right. You don't have that high quality environment. Right. If you are so heavily relying on your own planning each day to make each day function. Right. If you feel like you are the thing that has to control everything. Yes. You're setting yourself up for terrible days and challenging yes. behaviors. Yes. And hoping the clock gets around to five o'clock real quick. <laughs> and exhaustion. Yeah. Every break, you're like, is it my break time yet? Yeah. I'm so tired. Yeah. So, like, so maybe. You shouldn't be the monkey at the front of the room the whole time then, man. Yeah. Maybe it's not more work for teachers and caregivers. It's a different kind of work. Because you're putting a lot yeah. of work into that frustrating way of doing things, too, and expending a yeah, lot of that's true. energy. So it's maybe just a different kind of work for us. But that kind of leads into the next bullet point, what we were just talking about. So it's um, in its practice, the teacher takes on the role of facilitator, taking what she sees and hears and bringing to children the opportunity to discover more, dig deeper and construct further knowledge. Yeah. So do Teacher you, facilitator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you have some examples from your real room, things that you've done here? Oh, gosh. Uh, Let's bring that on you. Only because um, I'm confident I that's think, what you do every day. Uh, we do this a lot. <laughs> uh, 
I'm trying to think which, where do I go? I think the one I remember the most is the frog that showed up on the playground. <laughs> it was a huge frog. And from where our playground sits in relation to everything, it's like straight from the parking lot to the playground. We never get animals. Um, and the kids were so into the frog that all of their playing involved frogs. <laughs> and it was like, we just had to bring more frogs in. How can we... My immediate, and it's not like, oh, let's bring in more physical frogs. It's how can we bring frogs as a way of accessing learning into everything we do? Mm -hmm. So how can we bring in frogs to the sensory table in dramatic play? How can we bring frogs into um, everything? Yeah. How, like, how, how can we access frogs through writing? That, to me, is, like, how... And it wasn't like, oh, we're going to sit down and learn about frogs. It was like, okay, I can yeah. tell you guys like playing frogs. You wish you had more frogs. Mm -hmm. We're learning about so, frog environments. I'm going to give you as many ways to access that as you can mm -hmm. so that no matter where you are in your developmental journey, you have a thing that aligns with your interests that draws you in. Yeah. And a social component because the group now Absolutely. has, has par participated in this. So... Here's another springing on you question. What might you uh -oh. say then to a teacher who says, they loved this frog stuff so much, I think we should do this every November? The same I frog would say, thing. no, don't do that. <laughs> I would say no. <laughs> um, I would say, remember everything that you as a teacher learned from that experience and bring it into the next interest of the children. Mm-hmm. Because so, there is that temptation of like, well, now I have all this frog stuff, so we're just going to do frogs all the time. Yeah. yeah. But really, <laughs> you have to think to yourself, like, I figured out how to bring frogs into the art area in a way that really resonated with the kids I had that year. Mm -hmm. Next time the children are interested in a thing, will that work the same uh -huh. way? Can right. I start at that point? Or will it be different? Yeah. Hmm. Whew. Your son just blinded your son. No, it's the son. Just the blinded son. me when you leaned <laughs> away from that again. <laughs> um, okay, so the next what one. What would you say? What would you say to that? What would I say? Um, yeah. Well, I would go into um, what people are probably sick of hearing me talk about the core considerations of developmentally appropriate practice, mm -hmm. which say. Not only do we think about what's typical for this age, but what's happening with the individuals in this moment. And so it's very difficult to say next December, next November, I will have a group that feels the same way about frogs that, yeah. they, that they do right now. And I would say if in a time in the future we have another frog jump up on our playground and ex and excite this kind of group interest then we've already got all this to fall back on. So in one way it can be reused, but we can't just mm -hmm. assume that we should reuse it. Yeah. Um, um, for the record, a frog showed up this year and nobody gave a crap. <laughs> <laughs> and didn't see, get any of the frogs about. <laughs> see, see, exactly. So again, we are very skilled at leading right into the next bullet point. 
It's flexible. Emergent curriculum is flexible in that curriculum planning, rather than being done well in advance, is constantly developing. It's dynamic, neither stagnant nor repetitive. Yeah. So that's another... None of that box curriculum works for this. Nope, nope, nope. So So many teachers, and I was definitely one of them at one point in my career, are so dependent on having plans made out in advance so you know what's coming. But I also think part of that is because we love planning. We love writing things on that form. We love feeling like a teacher Mm -hmm. by talking about lesson plans, teaching. I mean, I remember buying a lesson plan book and feeling like I really was a teacher now because I had from a teacher supply (laughs) store a lesson planning book. How Um, old were you when you did that? I was a grown-up working with children. (laughs) I got my first lesson planning book when I was nine. You nerd. (laughs) It's fun. It makes you feel like... I believe um, that. I know. I did it. Lesson planning books and lesson planning makes you feel like you're doing something. Right. When you don't know what else to do. Right. Right. This is what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to, like, map out each day and what we're going to do every single day. Mm Mm-hmm. And, I, and that's where I'm, I struggle with explaining emergent curriculum to people mm-hmm. because I often just want to say like, nope, I don't do lesson plans. Yeah. And it makes it seem like, well, you just show up every day and like do whatever you feel like. There's a little bit of that. Yeah. But it's more that I'm thinking specifically about how I'm going to teach Eleanor about how to roll up her sleeves by herself so she isn't uncomfortable with wet sleeves all day. Uh-huh. Like that's the self-care thing I'm working on today. Right. And I'm not going to write out a lesson plan for that. Yeah. I'm not going to sit down and say, like, that happens today. I'm going to say, hey, if there's a moment, I'm going to jump on it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'll tell you part of uh, the change that we've been working on with teachers in my in my centers um, in trying to help them move from a 9 to 11, we do theme time and everything else is free play, to... Children are learning all day long in all areas of development, and there are things you can do at every moment of the day, um, is having them write some of that stuff down as a middle mm-hmm. step. Um, because I think, and and I know that um, you've heard me say this at least, there's something very paralyzing, even if a pre-planner teacher, theme-based teacher wants to make this shift and sees emergent curriculum or play-based learning as something they want to try, they don't know how to get from A to B, and it's there's a paralyzing sort of dynamic or sort of feeling. Yeah. Um, and when you're um, it, stage one and maybe stage two? Yeah. Teacher? I think so. Like, you need those supports somewhere. Yeah. You just straight up don't have the experience to just... Yeah. So that's... Know that's, what to do, and, you know? And our state requires that we have written lesson plans posted. Um, that, that's so, also a thing. <laughs> right. So finding that compromise, it doesn't say you have to do them beforehand. Do, mm. You know, you could have the thing on the wall and post as you go, right as you go. And that meets the requirement. Nice. Um, I don't know why my arms got all up in the air on that one. You have a large lesson planning board. Large lesson my planning mind. board, yeah. yeah. Um, but I've, so I've, I've had them started to write things down like that on their planning forms. Like, 
um, you know, one thing that we see from our observations of children is that so-and-so can't roll her sleeves up and then she cries because her sleeves are wet. So we're going to work on that this week. And then eventually they won't be that dependent on writing it down and thinking it through in that way. But they'll mm-hmm. rec- they'll recognize that as learning um, and teaching and it, they'll be able to articulate it better to the people who wonder what's happening in that classroom that doesn't have the plans posted. <laughs> right. Um, so I think it's a step. I think it can be in there as a necessary step for some people to do some mm-hmm. writing and planning, but we can't, we get, we have to get out of that box of if it's on the plan, we do it. And if it's not, it's not important. Or mm-hmm. um, I've been thinking a lot about, so I've got maternity leave coming up. Mm-hmm. And I've been thinking a lot about how do I leave lesson plans for my maternity leave that are emergent curriculum lesson plans. (laughs) Like, I'm required to leave lesson plans. Yeah. I also don't want to leave somebody, like, I don't want to leave my sub, even though, so it's complicated because there are two of us in the room. So Mm -hmm. one of us is staying the same person and she knows exactly what's going on. I'm not worried about (laughs) The second person is the maternity leave sub, and they are at a drastically different place in their teaching development. Uh-huh. They have probably never executed an emergent curriculum before. Mm-hmm. I don't want to leave them feeling helpless. Mm-hmm. I want them to come in feeling prepared and confident so that they can have fun in my classroom, too. Yeah. Yeah. So I've been struggling with how do I develop emergent curriculum plans for someone and does it mean that I just say like here's a list of stuff to look for Mm -hmm. or here's a list of what everyone currently needs yeah and things you can do to give them what they need I it's yeah it hurts my brain a little bit yeah I did some some sample on this new form that we've got for our teachers um so that they could see what it looked like and what kinds of things could be included and what the process looked like. And there were some teachers who needed to follow that, like our pre-planned lesson plan for a couple weeks to get their heads mm-hmm. around the new process. And there were some who could just look at that and say, oh, that's what she means when she's talking about all day and all of the domains and social mm-hmm. emotionals in there too. So I think there's some some usefulness for giving some a couple of pre-planned kinds of things but yeah i just want to i i want everyone all the adults involved in the classroom to ha- to be on the same page mm-hmm. and not feel behind mm-hmm. because the maternity leave situation i'm not training somebody oh it's just like you've got to i'm just going to plop you in for 3 months and then <laughs> Uh, but you have to have plans. Like that, I do have to have plans. They, uh, they can. I, you know me. Yeah, they're gonna be interesting plans. <laughs> <laughs> they're gonna be yeah. like, here's a list of things you can do to promote social emotional learning. Yeah, yeah. Pick one to do each day. Yeah, exactly. Well, maybe I'm just sort listen of... to a child. <laughs> Acknowledge some feelings today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, cause you could, I, yeah, I guess there's just a, a, a balance in my mind between 
what happens in that classroom if the two teachers left in there aren't on the same page or one is really stressed out about not doing things the right way? Um, is that yeah. is that more of a negative impact for the children in the room than maybe having a couple of months of mapped out experiences that may not be relevant to their individual interests, but also are appropriate for typical children that age. Right? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I completely so know what you maybe mean. maybe there's it's a case a to be made. Conundrum. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a whole different thing. That's not what the people came let's, here okay, to hear. Let's, that's not what the people want. <laughs> let's get back to okay. our emergent curriculum right. discussion. Next, I'm next bullet point. An emergent curriculum enables children's learning and teachers' thinking to be made visible through varied forms of documentation. I'm the worst at this. Honestly, this idea of documentation and documentation panels and all that really sort of drives me crazy. Like, I get the point, but I think it's another chore for teachers to feel like they have to do. Mm -hmm. But I think we do have to figure out how to make that learning visible to the people who don't understand it. That could be through conversations. Sometimes it's photos. Josie was staring at me again. This is creepy. I'm never recording in my house again. Oh, she's gone now. <laughs> she's just like, peek. there she is. She's Alfred Hitchcock doing a cameo. There she is. Okay. So, anyway, I feel like... Um, I, I Documentation feel, I, I is another, like it's have, one of those words like assessment to me. Yes, it's a buzzword that I it's have, a, it, like triggers ooh. a negative reaction for me. I don't know if I get negative reaction. For me, I, it is, yeah. I love documentation. Mm-hmm. I love the idea of like, I am a researcher in the field. Absolutely. Yes, me too. I'm, I'm documenting the behavior of mm-hmm. these wild creatures in my <laughs> room, trying to understand them better by, you know, yeah. trying to see what they're doing. And like... That part of it, I love. Yeah. It takes so much time to do it well. Yeah. I think any teacher that has attempted documentation has that same feeling of, this is a great idea. I can see what it, what it could be. Yeah. And then in reality, it is this post-it note that I stick on the door and I'm ashamed that this bulletin board is still empty. Yeah. Well, I think, <laughs> I think... If we say to teachers, this is the only way to do documentation, that's stressful. But if we say, Mm -hmm. find some way that works for you to help families, administrators, community members, whoever's touring the center, to make the learning that's happening in this play-based room, this emergent curriculum, visible to them. Even if it's Mm -hmm. a post-it note. That's documentation for me. Yeah. But if it's what I see too often is this is good documentation and anything less than this falls short of the mark and is not acceptable. Yeah. And then and documentation it, and it takes over your purpose. life. Yeah. Documentation is another tool in your tool belt. Yes. It should not be a thing that you do means to an end. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, it yeah. It can turn into teaching. Oh, yeah. Documentation can turn into teaching. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, So the last bullet point, my favorite. 
builds upon the theories of the recognized theorists in our field. The work of Dewey, Piaget, and Vygotsky supports the philosophy of emergent curriculum. Because I think we don't do enough of that. I don't think we have enough folks in the field who are skilled at saying, we do this because of Dewey's theory. We do this because of Piaget's theory. Yeah. And I really, I keep saying this, I really want to do a podcast, Tiffany, where we just go through a typical schedule. And at each point of that schedule, we talk about what do we know from Dewey that would affect this time of the day? What do we know from Piaget that Mm. would affect this time of the day? And help folks make that connection. That sounds delightful. I know. It sounds fun. I really want to do a teacher meta survey. Okay. That asks them about what their personal philosophies are mm. and what their actual practices are. Oh, yes. Oh, how co- that we should write that article. Isn't that, that a delightful yes. survey, monkey? We should do that. <laughs> Let's do that. I, wanna, I want people to go through and say, because from the applying for teacher jobs uh-huh. process, yeah. every person in the world is like, well, I'm a constructivist teacher who is progressive and do all and. But then when it comes down to it, those are totally empty phrases. Right. Some people say that because they actually know what they mean and understand it. Other people, it's just like, this is what everybody does nowadays. And you're like, well, is it though? And I think choosing one is really limiting. Oh, yeah. Choosing one philosophy or choosing one label for yourself is limiting. It is. And I think it leads to uh, ignorance, blind ignorance. How? Because if you're just picking one philosophy and doing that one thing all the way, you're ignoring all the developments that are happening in the other fields. Right, right. And Which is dangerous. You want to you question yourself. You have to really trust that whoever's telling you this is what they thought, this is what a progressive educator means. You have to trust that they know what they're talking about. Like one of the things that drives me crazy about everyone's adoration for Montessori schools is that a lot of them aren't really what Maria Montessori was talking about. Yeah. And teachers get into it thinking they're Montessori because the program they're working for uses that label without really digging in to the theory. Mm-hmm. Um, there used to be a chain of childcare programs that claimed to be based on Piaget. Um and everyone that I was in, despite being a huge Piaget fan, I could see very little that came yeah. from from his writing and his theory, um, which is frustrating mm. for me. Frustrating. Yeah. I think, I think they're all... It's part of that critical thinking thing that I keep getting stuck on. <laughs> we, have to, we have to start challenging our own ideas, our own philosophies what other people say to us. The but challenge start, is where the learning knowing, takes place. Yeah. Yeah. It starts with knowing yourself and what your own philosophy is before you can decide whether anything else is true or fits. Yeah. And, uh, we have to be, I really believe that we that. we're always on this pendulum. Yeah. With the two sides of the pendulum being challenging and reassert, reasserting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like, Sometimes you need your ideas to be challenged, and sometimes you just need them to be reaffirmed. Right. It's and like you go back and forth. Miley Cyrus on the wrecking ball. Exactly. <laughs> that is exactly the trajectory we're on. 
It's the wrecking ball philosophy of early education. <laughs> yeah. So true. Um, so that's the end of our bullet um, points, and we're sort of getting a goofy again. Oh, what that else? must be a last signal. Thoughts, last My thoughts. last thoughts are: Can someone start out with emergent curriculum as what they learn to do first? I mean, obviously mm-hmm. they can, right? Those people right. exist in the world, right? But is it wise? For them to just jump in and try? Is that what you're asking? Or just is, is it possible for someone to come first experience in a classroom or a group of children or whatever their setting is? Yeah. And jump immediately into doing this well? Yes. Well, I think it depends on their preparation and are their mentors. Um, I, I think it's possible. I think it's hard. Um, I guess I'm also thinking of are the experiences that lead up to choosing emergent curriculum necessary to reach that point? What are the experiences necessary for choosing? I don't know. What do you mean? Oh, okay. I mean, like, do you have to have a year of doing the box curriculum before you say, oh. I I am actively choosing something different? Mm-hmm. Do you have to have that year to of like survival mode? Can you have somebody in survival mode survive on emergent curriculum? And you think yes if they have I, good mentors? I think yeah, if they're if they've got good support and good models. Um because that's how I mean that's what teachers in survival stage need is very direct instruction and modeling and in-person coaching. Um, regardless of what setting they're coming into, that's what they need or whatever philosophy they're coming into. I think that's what they need. Um, yeah. Could I have just stepped in and someone told me this is what the way we do it. And here's a one page description of what it means. And just on my own done it well. I don't think so. Because I had to fight my own mental model of teaching yeah, which was based on elementary school settings, and I was with two-year-olds and tried to make them fit that model. <laughs> Those poor, poor babies. Look at how far you've come. Uh, yeah. Um. So yeah, I, I, I think, I think you would have to have good support to come through that way as a brand new person. Um. Probably attending our college would get you right. there. Right. I guarantee right, right. attending okay, okay. Tiffany and Heather's Republic mm-hmm. <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> whatever we decided whatever to call it. We decided to call it would definitely have you out and doing it right. Or your money back. Yeah. <laughs> uh, All right. Any last thoughts from you? So my last thought would be if you're someone listening to this who had never heard of emergent curriculum or feels that I don't know where to go from here, just start by thinking about why you do the things you do in your classroom. Like what's the reason behind the way your schedule is laid out or what's the reason behind the way your planning form looks. And if it's anything other than children's interests, what I know about child development, what I know about theory, um, then shake things up a little bit. 
try something different. If it's because this is the way we've always done it, or this is what the teacher before me did, or even if it's, well, because to get on the playground at the same time, we all have to have our schedules like this. Um, if, if you're, if it doesn't fit into that, if it's still very adult directed or environment directed or program directed, what are a couple things you could change to bring it back more towards based on what we see the children need or are interested in, which is hard. Yeah. Hard. Your brain will start in the corner, start in the corner, baby steps. How many Mm -hmm. more cliches? We need a couple more cliches. (laughs) I can't think of any more. Um, I but can't either. Put but me on the but I do want to say, I, I want to really acknowledge that I know it's a hard jump to make and that I know it can be paralyzing knowing which what to do next. So just pick a couple small things. Don't feel like if tomorrow you haven't completely gone to play-based or emergent curriculum, you're a failure as a teacher <laughs> because so many of us have gone on that path. Yeah. And it's it's slow sometimes. Start with a small experiment is my, always my advice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good advice. Just say to yourself, I'm going to try this thing and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm going to fully commit and change everything I do. Just like, right. I'm going to, I'm going to do a little classroom experiment right. and see where that you leads You don't have me. to go in on a Wednesday night and clean out your classroom and refill it with new things. Don't do that. <laughs> as much as you might want to. <laughs> All right. All right. Cool. This was a good one. Yeah, I'm ready um, for the next for the next conversation about this, because I do think that there's more to be said about it. Do we think about it a little bit more in process and maybe hear from some folks about how how things are going for them? All right. Well, thanks, Tiffany. Thank you for having me. Another fun one. And thank you guys for listening. Bye. Bye. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.